Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, this morning, I had the distinct pleasure of talking to a young man named Trevor Claiborne. Trevor is a farmer, and we're going to talk about how his life evolved. He did not grow up on a farm, but he took on and he likes what farming does for folks and what he's been doing to market farming. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, Mr. Oaks. How are you doing, sir? I can't complain. A little bit of snow, but no rain. Okay. And where are you right now? What part of the world? I'm outside of Lexington, Kentucky, in central Kentucky. Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky. All right. I know Lexington. Listen, where did you grow up, though? So I was uh, born in Mississippi, but I grew up in Lexington, north side Lexington. Mississippi. Okay, so you you're pure South Mississippi to Kentucky. I'm a Southern boy all the way. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's go back over your background a little bit this morning, because I really want to know. Uh, I know what you have talked about. What your life is. How, what does hip hop have to do with farming? And so I'm really interested in knowing what does hip hop have to do with farming. What well, tell me. What does hip-hop have to do with farming? Well, when you think about it, I guess we'll uh, start going backwards. So this most re uh, recent political season, as far as the elections, uh, I think the world sees how important and influential hip-hop uh, characters are, such as Cardi B, such as your Ice Cube. Uh, you think about the people that were pardoned by uh, the previous president, Trump. These were rappers, uh, Lil Wayne, Kodak Black. So uh, politically speaking, obviously, uh, these are these are popular people that influence the behavior and thought, uh, social acceptance of uh, certain administrations, certain objectives. So when we think about agriculture, when we think about Bob Evans sausage, uh, when we think about Jolly Green Giant, all of these are brands that have been marketed to us over time as a uh, as a mark of quality. And so when we look deeper into the uh, African-American farming community, where right now, of 3.5 million farmers in North America, we only represent 1.4%. And I'll repeat that, out of 3.5 million farmers in North America, we only represent 1.4%. You also factor in, like we said, we know hip-hop is uh, the largest, it's the largest uh, music genre around the world now. You look at any uh, corporate, commercial, or any advertisement, you're going to hear some, you're going to hear some beats in the background that would evoke hip-hop. And so I think uh, when I first started the research of Farmer Brown, the MC, as a hip-hop means of teaching agriculture, a lot of people didn't make the connection of the, the marketing value of agriculture and hip-hop merged, not just to sell products, but also uh, when you think about social marketing, a lot of the uh, purchasing habits we have, a lot of the social dynamics we have within our community 
are based around uh, what is what is marketed to us as valuable. And so we'll go into it a little later, but uh, my brief, I, I will call myself a neophyte within the agriculture world, but I've been in it long enough now to know the importance, indelible importance of being able to market not only our products, but our place in the overall agricultural sector. So going, what does hip-hop have to do with farming? It sounds like uh, marketing, promoting, getting people to understand farming is what it's all about. Is that what you're saying to me? Absolutely. And sometimes when you think about, uh, so there's actual science, say you have a hit song. Once you've heard it three times, it's a science. Once you've heard the song three times, whether the, the beat's offbeat, whether that isn't really melodic, once you've heard something at a frequency, your mind is now going to accept it as, you know, this is a popular song. Record labels understand this. Radios understand it. We want to sell advertising. We want to sell these records. Play this X amount of times. Consumer will, uh, will take to it. And so when we think about our uh, spending habits, specifically with produce, and so once again, if you're representing 1.4% of any demographic, you're very limited on the uh, power you can exert on a broader market. However, with our dollars, when you think about movies like Black Panther, uh, when you think about this past summer, the excitement around that is generated within the black community and specifically the hip-hop community, this activity, this excitement drives consumerism. And so if we can uh, strategically in some way, and this is with people that are nece not necessarily even into agriculture, figure out now, how can we market this importance. Uh, it's one thing telling everybody to go out and be farmers, which is unrealistic, but just uh, making agriculture, our food security, uh, the, the recent events with uh, COVID-19 over 2020, a lot of our uh, food insecurities were revealed. Right now, black families, uh, we before COVID, we were one out of five families were food insecure. That number is now at one out of four black families are food insecure. And so I think that uh, on an intrinsic sense is a, is a great incentive to at least ponder this conversation. Are we having these conversations about how can we produce food locally? Do I know local farmers? Do, we, do I have a cooperative uh, team of people that I can work with to go get some of this produce wholesale? So these are all discussions that have to be marketed as valuable. So you're not a farmer as much as you're a marketing guy. It's a little bit of both. And so my uh, professional job, I'm an extension agent, small farm extension agent at Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky. I cover uh, seven counties, most of these rural. My urban county will be Fayette County where I reside. And one of the, uh, you know, a lot of farmers have taken a hit across the board. I think 40% of, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, 40% of farm revenue over the last few years has been generated through subsidies, which will be equivalent to welfare to uh, run uh, under underfunded households. But saying that to say that's not very sustainable, and so one of the key, uh, the key components of agriculture today is diversification. I have this plot of land. Uh, where, where in Black History Month, it makes me think of uh, the great Booker T. Watley and his uh, – how you can make $100,000 farming on 25 acres of land. As we localize our food systems, we have to diversify how we're using this space. Not only can we produce food in this space, it can become an agritourism uh, attraction. So that's actually a business that my fiance and I have. It's called Black Soil, Our Better Nature. So I'm, I'm getting you. I had to cut you a little bit because you've gone too far for me, and I can't keep up with you. Your mind is going a mile a minute and the, right with your voice. So I'm back on you are a marketing guy, 
and you've gone all the way over to Booker T. Watley and how you make a million dollars on an acre. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe not that much, but I want to go back and we're going to come back to this uh, as we go. But how did you get into farming? I mean, I want to go back to your history, if you will, a little bit to see how you go hip hop, farming, teaching, agricultural business to this this whole world. How did you make those jumps? So let's go back to you're born in Mississippi and your parents moved you to Kentucky. When what was that? Let's start already and let's go up to to now. Tell me about okay. your history. Okay, so I was uh, raised in a single uh, family home. My mother, she was a school teacher. She taught high school at Bryan Station Senior High in Lexington, Kentucky. Reading, education was always something that was uh, high value was placed within my household, my sister and I. Through 95, that's when hip-hop really jumped off. It was more of a rebellious thing at that time. I'd always been into poetry, had an appreciation for literature. So from 95, my uh, friends and I, Vernon Morrell, uh, Mino Slick, as I'll call them, we started a group, Bonafide Circle. This is a hip-hop group. Uh, that was the first time I had made money from my own creation. We used to go to the recording studio from our uh, – we had a newspaper subscription. We used to sell newspaper subscriptions in high school, and we'd take our money and go to the studio, and we'd go print up tapes and sell them at school for $5. And so, I mean, we're 16, 17, hundreds of dollars selling tape. And so that kind of – inspired our industriousness and so i graduated high school in 1998 uh you know we we're from a small town so we were i, I would guess say hometown heroes and a lot of people knew us and so we were uh, we had i started college for a semester at what used to be lcc Lexington community college and i had a 0.4 grade point average at the end of my first semester so that that didn't seem to uh, do too well but that uh spring afterwards we had opportunity to move down to Atlanta, Georgia, and intern under uh, Rob Jackson on Arista Records and Black Coffee, who were on Motown Records. And so from 2000 to 2006, uh, we toured around the country. Uh, I know some of your listeners that have been down in Atlanta, Georgia during that time. Uh, it was a very, very transitional moment in hip-hop culture. It went from club, it went from uh, partying to what we'll call the trap culture, which uh, we can get into later if you want to. And so I did that for uh, six years, toured around the country. Everything I thought I wanted to do as a, a hip-hop entrepreneur, a, a hip-hopper, as some would say. Uh, 2006, I got back to Lexington, Kentucky. Fallen hero is how I felt. I was 26 years old. I felt like I had let you know people that believed in us down, and, and Mama wouldn't let me get too down on myself. I found myself back in the basement. Uh, my mother's the type that wouldn't let me sleep past 6 o'clock in the morning, and so I ended up getting some cleaning jobs. We uh, cleaned various factories, doctors' offices, schools, construction cleaning. It was very humbling. Uh, when you clean somebody's excrement up and you watch them walk away and they do it out of spite, but you realize you don't have to earn my check, it really humbles you. But then you also realize, okay, we're in a world of 7.6 billion people. Somebody has to clean up. And so fast forward, I, uh, my friends and I started a lawn care company called Hero, Hometown Environmental Restoration Operation. This is in 2008, and the basic premise was, hey, we all do lawn care, but let's add urban restoration to our repertoire of services. It was a cute word that we had all heard uh, President, Obama, President Obama using during his campaign, so we figured, hey, you know, how can we make a niche in that? So that was kind of my start into the whole academia, giving uh, college a second try. 
So you, we were up to 2006. You've gone through a career of, in hip-hop. You had the life you thought you wanted and from high school. You wanted into this world. And somehow, like the prodigy child, you found that this was not it. From the Bible, the prodigy child was, ended up in the pig farm, uh, slopping, eating what the pigs ate. So maybe you didn't get down that far, but you were down in the basement with your mom, uh, back home, uh, single mom, school teacher, sister, and you, you you got a job now. You've gone from the the glamour of the music industry, Motown and traveling and all of that, to your janitor living in the basement of your mama's house. That pretty much summed it up so far. And now yes. we're in 2006, a little bit more in 2006, where you graduated from high school in 1998. I've got a good sense of what hip-hop has to do with farming, and it's really marketing. You're really marketing ideas to people using song. And we're going to take our first break here in a minute. And somewhere in this conversation this morning, I would really like to talk to you about writing some songs about cooperatives, and we're going to get to cooperatives and the benefits of cooperation. The other thing that you said is very, very interesting to me, that 3.5 million farmers is only 1.4% are black. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Information is power. That's what we are giving you. National Corporate Bank is sponsoring this program to give you the information of <laughs> just the information about cooperatives. And right now, we're talking to. Trevor uh, Claiborne, who's also known as Farmer Brown at the MC, and how he got from hip-hop to farming is what we've been talking about. And we're about in the year of 2006, and he finds himself back home after going down to Atlanta, being in the hip-hop music industry in that world of limelight, and found out that that wasn't the world he wanted to be in. So he's back home in his mother's basement being a janitor. So bring us up now. Farmer Brown, the MC. Tell me about um, what happened after 2006. Well, you started the, the hero, the lawn care in 2008. Go from there and tell, bring us up to date. So 2008, it was actually funny. So once again, uh, my friends and I, uh, all of us were in our mid-20s. Uh, at that time, President Obama was running for office, and so there was a lot of optimism and so we thought this urban restoration because we had heard about, I think, the Big Brothers program he was promoting. And so we were trying to figure out how we could legitimize ourselves. And one of my friends said, hey, man, you know, they're paying people to go to school. And, you know, once again, we're trying to be industrious. How can we legitimize our business? And what he meant was they're giving scholarships. And so I, I revisited in my mind. I'm like, okay, maybe I can legitimize. You know, maybe there's some extra funding or something for our business if I – if I go get a degree, and so I had enrolled at Bluegrass Community Technical College, uh, which was originally LLC in their Environmental Science and Technology program. And the whole two years I was there, there was never more than two African Americans or even people of color in any of these classes. And uh, seeing as I had been in the big city touring around, this was my first uh, real conversation about environmental science, water quality, soil quality, uh, this was my first time ever going on a nature hike. And so, you know, once again, coming from the music to the janitorial, it was a welcomed new transition in my life. But it never left me 
that as amazing as this was, we were always reminded of all the job opportunities with environmental sciences, and there was never, you know, many African-Americans in it. And so in 2013, well, 2012, I got an opportunity to get a, a STEM scholarship to a HBCU. And so in my mind, it, you know, it was a no-brainer to go to Kentucky State University. And so I had to pick a STEM field. And so agriculture what was uh, is what was offered. And so it was almost a spin-the-bottle situation. I went into agriculture. Fast forward, in 2014, I had a niece. And, you know, I'm an excitable type of person, as you can probably tell. I like to, you know, once I learn something, I like to share it. And so I remember one day, it was one evening where I was visiting my mother, and my niece was there. She was uh, seven at the time. And I was asking her, I was like, Dariana, where do you think a hamburger comes from? And she said, a tree. She she answered that immediately, like unequivocally. And she was a very smart girl. And so, you know, mind you, I'm in class learning all these new things about this thing of agriculture. And I realized my very smart niece, she was traumatized when I told her the concept of cows, you know, processing cows. She was traumatized. And so my mom was like, how many other children are just really just disconnected from the, where their food comes from? Mm -hmm. So I thought I was going to kind of play a joke on her, so I created the Farmer Brown, the MC character, and I had made a song that was called Chicken Leg Shuffle, and I was going to go to her elementary school and just, you know, show up as an uncle. And so it was around that time, well, by 2015, I had a junior year practicum coming up. I'd already done my research, and so I had a second practicum. And my, my simple research was, can you use hip-hop audio and video productions to teach third through fifth graders agriculture? My original uh, research was it was intended for 300 students, 300 third through fifth graders in Lexington. Uh, had the whole outfit, the educational videos, the, the pamphlets and curriculum, had to get my IRB. And once I did that, I ended, it's been over 50,000 students now since I started. But saying that to say, the whole uh, I got my 300 the very first day. That was April, a April 2016 was the first day I started actually presenting my research. And what came to me was, okay, these kids, they're turned up, you know, because I incorporate dancing and music into the, into the discussion about agriculture. And I realized not only the students are excited about this, this concept of something they had only seen in a, a history book, through the auspice of slavery, but their parents were excited as well. It gave parents an excuse to learn something new. So once again, when we talk about cooperatives and what does hip-hop have to do with cooperatives, farming, have to do everything with not only commercial marketing but social marketing, you know, how do we have these hard conversations? Uh, you know, there's this trope of the mad black man, and when you see stats like 1.4%, of a group that at one time was 15% in the 1920s, on top of uh, agriculture is a trillion-dollar-a-year uh, industry just within the U.S., and black farmers only uh, represent 0.2% of ag sales. Let me repeat that. Farming is a $1 trillion-a-year industry in North America. This includes your producers. This includes your value-added products. <laughs> All other infrastructure, my daughter right there. All other infrastructure. But black sound like, well, I'm sorry. She sounds like she's very excited about what you're talking about, so keep on talking. <laughs> one black trillion farmers, dollar industry, and blacks only have less than industry. 1%. 0.2% U.S. ag sales. Black farmers own 0.4% of the 1.9 billion acres of farm land in North America. Not 1.4%, not 10.4%, 0.4%. And so, uh, how much uh, land? How much land? 1.9 billion acres in North America. This is the lower 48. 
1.9 billion acres. Okay. Apparently, and all of these are uh, USDA statistics. You know, and I always challenge listeners or anybody to fact check. I wish these statistics were wrong, but and we'll get into it later. And doing this work because it became a, a continuous rabbit hole. Trying to find a black farmer is like trying to find a leprechaun, and and this dynamic exists. Uh, we've been to Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee. We uh, we're working with some farmers in Ohio now, and this is the last of a dying breed. These are some of the strongest people in the world to be able to keep your land and your operation in this atmosphere. But I, I'm kind of getting away, but the concept was how well, what, do you introduce something so serious and not, you know, scare somebody. You don't want to come across as radical, angry. And so we think about the importance of Sesame street. We think about the important importance of, uh, Bill Cosby, uh, the, the fat Albert in the game. These were influential, you know, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Music has always been a means of educating, and, and actually the essence of hip-hop, it was it was the black uh, CNN in your urban areas, your New York, and even down south. And so my simple concept was how to, how to put some words together, talk about agriculture, and be colorful. You know, uh, when I was in fourth grade, my first time seeing a black person doing something agricultural, it was in a social studies book, and it was the brief few paragraphs about slavery. Uh, I look at this book and I look over on the wall, I see a picture of Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson. And so as a young black male, okay, over here science, I see a picture of Albert Einstein. And so, you know, it's almost, I guess, subconsciously, my mind went towards what looks like it will be a better life, what looks like I will get a better outcome. And so once again, you know, we have to start with the youth. When we think about the prisons are built based on uh, third, you know, how is this child developed by third grade? You know, can this child read as illiterate? Because I can figure out by third grade if I'm going to need to build X amount of more prison cells. And so I would assume, you know, in the spirit of creating solutions that we have to, have to within our community, stress the importance of not just agriculture from food security standpoint, but also career, career and entrepreneurship. I mean, there are 7.6 billion people in the world that have to eat. Uh, I know in North America we waste 40% of the food that's produced here. I know I'm throwing some numbers. But uh, 40% of the food that's produced in North America goes to waste. Just either it's not sold or, you know, safety protocols. 80% of the food that we consume in North America isn't produced by North American hands. And so, once again, when we're thinking about practical solutions, when we think about how to apply cooperative economics to a legitimate effort, uh, my goal is I I just turned 40 last year, and so I'm not – oblivious to think that somehow we can change 1.4% of anything to suddenly be at least our representation, which some say 13, 14, 15% of the nation. But if we, I figure if we can get 250,000, this is very feasible. And if I get a little time later, I'd like to go in deeper into that. If we can get 250,000 third through fifth graders now, and this is spread out across the country, you know, the majority of these farms are in the Southeast, but you know, there's some in the West coast as well. 250,000 third through fifth graders on a track, a formidable track to during their uh, educational experience, they're immersed with uh, practical gardening experiences. It opens up for farm tours. Uh, recently, I've been uh, working remotely from my office for the last 11 months, but I also know as, the edu- as an educator, you know, we're going to need alternative means of educating, so this also lends to outdoor education. This becomes diverse operations for some of the landowners. So you've given us a lot in this segment, sir, and I, uh, I, I got what I basically have in the first segment, how you go from hip-hop to farming, and it's basically promotion. 
and you've had that same theme in the second segment, but you've talked about a one trillion a year industry is this agriculture, and blacks only had point two percent of that, and the black farmers that would that that are out there are aging, they're getting older, there are a lot of baby boomers in that one, and there's not anybody to follow up to take that. Of the 1.9 billion acres, blacks only own uh, less than 1% there, 2.4%. And I did get from the folks from the Federation of Southern Co-ops, I'd gotten that in 1906 there were like blacks owned about 30 million acres, and today is down to 2.5 million acres. Um, so that's at 0.4% of what we own now. And you're trying, you're looking at, starting with your niece at seven years old to teach folks through music, uh, song, dance. Uh, I've seen some of the outfits that you've had on color that uh, about this whole world of agriculture. If you can get 250,000 third to fifth graders in there. Listen, you guys, we'll, we'll come back and talk more about with, with Farmer Brown, the MC, about this whole world of farming. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We're talking to Farmer Brown, the MC, uh, about farming and hip-hop music and how you promote uh, farming and agriculture to get more younger people involved in what looks like a dying breed. Black farmers used to be a lot, and there's just not that many anymore. This program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. They've been our partner for the last seven and a half years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities. And a lot of black and brown folk live in low-income communities, but they provide innovative financial and related services. And they've just been a great partner, both financially and uh, support in, in helping us along the way. And I've, we've been talking to Trevor. He uh, grew up in a uh, single parent, his mom and in a household with his mom and sister, and she was a high school teacher. And, Trevor, the, the thing I like about co-ops, my mother was an elementary school teacher. And in our house, get an education, boy, that's the only thing the white man can't take from you. Get an education, get an education, get an education. My granddad and my mom preached that all of the time. So this education is huge, and I like that you are using hip-hop to teach young folk, starting with your seven-year-old niece, who thought that hamburgers came from a tree. And it would be interesting how she got that visual, but I don't want to go there right now. I want to go back to your life. Uh, the last week stop was you were going to Kentucky State, uh, and you were doing this practicum. So how did that go? You said that there's some 500,000 kids have heard your your oh, video. Oh, no, no, 50,000, 50,000. So I've done uh, presentations this is uh, in person and virtual to 50,000. I've reached 50,000 students, which far surpassed my goal of 300. And this is since uh, 2015 to the present. So if somebody wanted to hear your presentation or get you to, to talk to or speak to elementary schools, how, how would they reach you? Uh, so you could contact me uh, at my personal email. That will be fbtmc23 
at gmail.com, fbtmc23 at gmail.com. And if they want to uh, see some of the content, the educational content, if it's kind of vague what it looks like, and so I also have videos and some of my literature available at blacktothegarden.com. Black to the Garden. So FB is for Farmer Brown, initials, FB, Farmer Brown, the MC. Farmer Brown, the MC. So it's FBTMC23 at gmail.com. Correct. Okay, and the videos, you can go to the webpage, Black to the Garden. Instead of Back to the Garden, it's Black to the Garden, Black, the number two, thegarden.com to look at the videos. Okay, so you've taken your, you did not grow up on a farm, and most farmers I know have been on it grew up on a farm. You did not grow up on a farm. You uh, wanted this world of hip-hop, this world of music. You, 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 could, you could see how that was exciting and fun. You got a taste of that. It was against your values, against something. Something happened. You said, no, let me, let me get out of here. Uh, we'll go back home. You live in the ba- your mom's house in the basement. And then you started going to school, back to school. You'd gotten a .4 GPA. That's a, you may have gotten one D or two Ds that first semester or one C and all the rest Fs, that .4. So it said that you, you maybe had a 4.0 in partying, but a, a F GPA, grade point average when it came to studying in your first semester. Now you go back to school. You went to community college, so that's affordable. And you were a janitor, and you got very humble understanding. Janitor is a great job. Somebody's got to do it. But you're, you're, you're working for people that can be spiteful. They can spit on the floor or do anything on the floor, and you've got to clean it up. So you got, got humble and got a, a sense of what it's about, and then you keep going to school. And how did you end up paying for your Kentucky State? I know. Community college is a great way of going because it doesn't cost much. You can get your first two years very inexpensively going to community college. But how did you end up at Kentucky State? And, by the way, I went my first semester of school in 1965. I was at Kentucky State. So we, we have a little our background, quite a few different years. Since I just turned 73, you are just turning 40. So it was quite a few different years, but I ended up going to Kentucky State one semester. And because of money, I end up going back to Bluefield State is much cheaper and living at home. So how did you pay for your Kentucky State experience? And so when I was at BCTC, I had maintained a 3.5 or better GPA, and so I was able to get a scholarship from the Lynx Corporation. It was a transferred partnership between the community college and Kentucky State University as well as other community colleges. And so I was kind of in the pilot run, me and some of my me and some of my fellow students, and so that paid for for half of my time there. I ended up at K-State for four years. Uh, I was supposed to just be there, too. I ended up there four years. I stayed on the dean's list, and so that's that's how school paid for it, and then student loans, these student loans. Is it too personal to ask you, when you left Kentucky State, how many student loans you had, how much? I, I will say a lot more. And then uh, what some of the people who were sitting next to me left with, it, it's, it's I, I would say closer to fifty thousand. I would say closer to fifty thousand. Okay. Have you been? A, how? When did you graduate? Uh, Two thousand and seventeen. 
Oh, three, only three years ago, four years ago. Okay, three and a half years ago you graduated, so you haven't paid that off yet. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have, you, have you been able to keep up with the interest? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So once so, again, it, so, it goes back to entrepreneurship. Sometimes it's best to just get thrown in the water and you have, it's either sink or swim. I think it's, it's driven some industriousness in me. <laughs> okay. So you graduated in 2017. You're 40 now, so that was only three years ago. So you graduated at 33 from with a BA, and a lot of people graduate at 20, 21 years old. So you were not a traditional student. You were you were an adult student going back to school. Stayed on it. That helped you to stay on a dean's list. So your 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 F average your first semester wasn't an indication of your in, intellect. <laughs> okay. All right. And so as one of your experiences in college, um, you, you created this character and you got videos and so forth trying to teach your seven-year-old about agriculture. How did you get into agriculture, though? What was the piece that got you connected to agriculture? So my mom had uh, moved down to Louisiana pretty much the whole time I was in college. And so I, I went back to the family house. We had a space in the back. My mom had had a garden back there, you know, previous years when we was growing up. And once again, I'm, I'm getting in environmental mode. And so I had started actually experimenting with gardening in 2010. This is before even going to K-State. But once again, it was just more of a hobby thing. You know, let me get out here, get my hands dirty. I in no way thought of farming or agriculture or commercial production. But it was 2010, I uh, started doing my own garden. So I've kept a garden since. Okay. So you got a 3.5 plus average. You're on a dean's list. You got scholarship. You have to get the rest of it from from uh, from loans. You end up with fifty thousand dollars worth of loan. And I have known people, sir, with five hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans. So, and and the most I had was twenty thousand when I left. Uh, got my MBA at Stanford. I, most of it was scholarship, and I left there with twenty thousand loans. But this was in 1976, and I was. Maybe it's equivalent to fifty thousand today. So you got all of these loans. You've got a degree. So what what kind of work are you doing now? And so, uh, like I said, my nine my uh, nine to five, so to speak, I work in cooperative extension at Kentucky State University in the land grant program. Obviously, I'm the owner and program director of Farmer Brown the MC. It's a LLC, and also co-founder of Black Soil Our Better Nature. That's a, a agritourism company focused around black farmers. Kentucky, connecting black Kentuckians with uh, black rural-based farmers. We also have a fulfillment center uh, closer to downtown Lexington where our farmers are able to bring their produce in. We're able to distribute it, you know, to the consumers here in Lexington. Okay. So you're kind of busy. Not I heard some, moment. I heard some young voices in the background. You, you got children? And, and so I have my two, we have our two-year-old twins, Trevor Jr. and Caroline. We were blessed to get them January 7th, 21 and so uh, before we brought them into the world, we knew because uh, she had a job in urban urban planning. She was working at a nonprofit that worked on urban planning and zoning, and she noticed the lack of representation in a lot of the rooms talking about land. Uh, if anybody's been to the Bluegrass, this is some of the best real estate, uh, personally, I would say, in the country. And I had the same dynamic. I'm kind of skipping around, but I got to touch on it. Going to the black colleges, wasn't that many black students in the College of Ag. Uh, you know, once again, there's this symbolic, you know, we grew up thinking the black college is the party college. 
But, they're, you know, and it's a gem. It's a truly a valuable uh, program. But even students on campus don't know that we have an ag program. And so that was another driver behind uh, not only understanding the lack of representation within the farming, but the actual programs to prepare people to become farmers are within agriculture. And uh, the few uh, HBCUs I visited uh, during the conference circuit is the same dynamic. So when I went to Kentucky State, I played football, and I majored in math and girls. So I didn't know anything about no agriculture department. Okay, I didn't, didn't know anything about that. And I don't know if I'd have, if I if I'd have put in it, but I like the idea that you have you have married the hip hop world to the farming world, and you came through at the back door. In the seven and a half years I've been interviewing farmers, most grew up on a farm, and they learned about cooperatives growing up on a farm. I, one lady was on; their family was in five different co-ops, and farm that was a huge part of farming. So now I want to ask you, going from you, you got this sense of farming. You had your hands in the dirt in in New Orleans or in Louisiana in the backyard. You've gotten a sense of farming. Uh, it took you a total of six years to get your undergrad. Uh, at least you got your AA degree, then four years at Kentucky. You changed majors. You're in, into farming. You started this practicum, an experiment on 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 school, and you've reached fifty thousand. I like the idea of five hundred thousand. That sounds better. So that's your next hump. Okay, five. You've reached five hundred thousand. I'm claiming it. Uh, five hundred thousand young people with with your your videos, your music, your hip hop to get them interested in farming, but also to know where their food comes from. This whole health system. Okay. How did you get to co-ops? How did you start learning about co-ops? And so actually, I accidentally learned about co-ops. It was the concept of if we have more of us coming together to spend, there's more that we can buy. We incorporated that kind of forcefully into the black soil model. It was originally just to be farm tours and, uh, you know, these special dinners. But uh, once COVID shut down, obviously not too many people are going out. So we were able to galvanize just with the uh, relationship we had built. Uh, we started Black Soil in 2017. So for over the last three years, we've built a formidable uh, network of black farmers. And so what we've been able to do, and I, I would say Ashley's been able to do it better, is actually galvanize these people. Uh, we're able to, uh, I think we distributed a few thousand, uh, I don't want to be specific, but I know a few thousand uh, subscription boxes, and these are all sourced from black farmers in Kentucky. So listen, everybody out there, if you want to get to Trevor, who's called Farmer Brown, is that MC, is FB for Farmer Brown, FBTMC23 at gmail.com. You could send him an email. He could get you the videos or go live stream with, with uh, elementary school students. Or you can go to his webpage. Instead of back to the garden, it's black, B-L-A-C-K, the number two, thegarden.com, and get information about him. And we'll be right back. We're going to talk more about co-opting when we come back and the kinds of things he's got on the drawing board, additional videos and so forth to marry hip-hop with farming. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Information is power. Let's give you some information about cooperative farming, hip-hop world. You can go to blacktothegarden.com to, to reach Trevor Claiborne, or you can email him at fbtmc23 at gmail.com. 
So, Traver, this is Black History Month, and you're the first person on the show this February. We've talked about history from a standpoint that it's a turn in 1900, 1905, the blacks owned about 30 million acres. There was a lot more farmers back then, black farmers, through a lot of different things. Some of it was blacks left the farms and went to Chicago or D.C., New York, and that land got bought up. Sometimes uh, whites would take the land, and now it's only about 2.5 million acres that black own. So what I'm hearing you talk about, though, is during the break I came up with, instead of back to the future, is black to the future. How we get blacks into this farming world, into this agriculture world, to this, to this world of this huge piece of the world is food from the farm to the table, this whole food thing and how to get more healthier food. So what what do you have planned for getting bl- more blacks? I, I got you got your videos on. What else do you have planned for the future in getting blacks and black kids involved in this whole food industry? And so obviously uh, the events of 2020 definitely uh, redirect the game plans. And so during that time I've developed two uh, virtual learning modules. And this is actually uh, hosted by me. These are cartoon characters. It was a gentleman out of uh, Ohio that actually has a company. He does uh, the the presentations for some of your larger corporations, but he uh, was able to make virtual learning modules. Uh, these are learning tools for teachers, so that's one end. But as far as this year, and so the, uh, we're really wanting to expand the conversation. There's many people having the conversation, so the concept is just, you know, we want to make it a part of people's culture. And so four, three, two, one. Four, three, two, one million black shovels formation. And what that is is simply it's a challenge. Is it possible? Uh, I like to come from the concept of asking the question: Is it possible for a million black people? We know out of 44 million here in North America, 100% of us eat. And so, can a million of us at the same time on April the 3rd, 2021, for 10 minutes engage in some activity that has to do with gardening? This is the prime time to start a garden. Uh, if you're in an apartment, uh, you can do container gardening. If you're at work, you know, make sure you got some potting soil. Do a desk, do a desk plant. But it lends opportunity for a lot of the leaders in the various regions around the country to really be highlighted for the people around them to meet them. And so the concept we see a lot of people are into social media. We do a lot of these challenges, and in my modest opinion, a lot of these challenges are degrading, and uh, they're they're not positive for us. And so my challenge is, can one million of us for 10, million, 10, 10 minutes silently on April the 3rd, touch the garden. This is at 12, 12 noon Eastern time. It will be 11 Central. But is there an activity a million of us can do that's productive? And from that time, uh, so we're, we currently have a podcast. It's called B1 Ag. And the concept is we need to have these conversations. It's not anti-anybody more so than just being very focused on what are the opportunities within agriculture. Uh, it takes 21 days to create a habit. And so from that uh, April 3rd, we're going to have 21 days of just basic ag tips. You know, what are some different production operations that you could do at your house? What if you have limited space? Uh, we have all sorts of programs that are available through the USDA, other state agencies, as well as ex- uh, cooperative extension information. Once again, I've kind of been, uh, for lack of a better word, the, the, the spook on the, on the wall, so to speak, to see the value of cooperative extension. 
I would have never known about Cooperative Extension if I wasn't an employee there and didn't go to school there. But it's a great resource. And a lot of times the farmers I work with, they're just not aware of these resources. And so once again, by having this million black shovels formation, the goal is to just have the conversation. Uh, my, I, I'm like you. I like your concept. I'm going to speak in 500,000. Like it'll be more than 1 million. It's going to be 5 million. But the goal is let's uh, shoot for some very specific goals. Out of that 1 million, I would hope 250,000 of them are third through fifth graders. Uh, we have a curriculum ready. This is Farmer Brown MC. And just expose at least 250,000 third through fifth grade uh, black students across North America to agriculture and connect them with okay. the uh, extension programs where they live as well as the producers where they live. So where is the curriculum that you have from third to fifth graders? Where is that curriculum? And so you can, uh, if you go to blacktothegarden.com, uh, my newest book is called Raising Young Bosses. So I actually have the curriculum in there if people want it for themselves, uh, themselves a hard copy. Uh, I think that would be optimal just in case the computer goes down. It's, it's in that book. They can also uh, reach out to me, and I can send it to them directly at FBTMC. This is a 12-part program. It goes over urban gardening. It goes over the introduction of agriculture, the history of agriculture, careers and opportunities in agriculture, and value-added products, as well as an overview of uh, ecosystem environmental impacts of agriculture. So when you start talking about agriculture, though, you're talking about most people talk about agriculture from the standpoint of the the dirt, the the black dirt, mostly black dirt. Sometimes it could be red clay, but the dirt, seeds, water, weeding, all of the things you have to do to get something to grow. Okay, that's what normally ag. But if you look at this whole system, food system is from getting the the, the, the fertilizer and seeds and everything that you need to get put in the dirt, harvesting it, taking the food to stores or or adding value to it, and getting it to the table. That whole process is a process of food. And uh, my my father with with my brothers and I, we had three of us, three three boys and him. And we would do about a, a acre. It was about an acre of a neighbor's land that we would plant probably 10 years, and uh, out of that whole system, the part that I like was harvesting and eating. I mean, I, I can get, take all of the rest of that stuff. You had to do all of that to get there, but that that eating part was the, the, the my main, main thing. But this whole system is all of the, the jobs that are created. And when you start talking about co-ops, uh, there are four different types of co-ops, and you can have – if, if a co-op, it depends on who owns and controls the co-op, if it's only controlled by the employees, then it is a worker co-op. And the businesses that you're starting, if, whether it's a, a, a hip-hop business uh, in, in the music industry or if it's a, a farm, you could get four or five friends and y'all can buy 40 acres and then go ahead and farm it. That's a worker co-op. Or if it's the consumer Consumer co-op, if it's only controlled by the people that uses the product or service, and there you have your credit unions, mostly your food co-ops, or your like grocery stores, housing co-ops, all of those are owned by the people that do business there. And a lot of farmers use the other two a lot as a purchasing co-op or marketing co-op. And FDA, you've already mentioned them. They know more about co-ops than the government than anybody else I've found. 
But farmers will come together and they'll buy the products they need, a form of business to buy the products that they need, normally getting in volume, they get a a better quality at a lower price. And then whatever they produce, whether that's eggs or chickens or uh, vegetables and and, uh, different kinds of of, uh, products, it could be oranges, so they market these products. They they end up having a company that markets them, and that could be Cabot Creamery, Orlando Lakes, Ocean Spray. Uh, so, and and now artists are beginning to use purchasing and marketing co-ops. So these are the four types. So in the cooperative extension, are you teaching people about how you start these uh, different types of co-ops? So how, what are you doing at extension piece? And so in my extension capacity, it's pretty much uh, passing along research-based information to new producers, up- updating the, uh, and they say small farms, but uh, limited resource farms, updating people with uh, new programs. We have a uh, program called Third Thursday at Kentucky State University, where each Thursday we have different specialists come in, whether you're talking about livestock production, uh, poultry, honey, aquaponics. So it's really connect once again, uh, making this connection between the the farmer and the institutions and resources available. So, uh, do you do any work with the Federation of Southern Co-ops? Yes, and so I am a. Uh, we just started uh, two years ago. I actually went down there the first time through Kentucky State University, and so uh, if I can, real quick. So that was another one of my inspirations, seeing how how important the uh, Southern Federation is as far as black farmers realizing that, you know, a broader base needs to understand the value of that. And once again, it's marketing. Uh, I know within Extension, a lot of us rely on just Facebook alone. But if you go to the 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds who are driving consumer habits, you know, they're on Instagram. There's all of these new areas where if it's on people's mind, then you can now take action to support something like the Federation. So, for so I, need you to, I need to see how I can get you back to – to sing a song about uh, hip hop on co-ops. I said, what would it take you to write some songs about cooperation uh, for the hip hop world too? So we'll get you back in the next couple of months. So you can write us some songs, produce them on the show. Absolutely. Man, thank you for coming on. Any last minute uh, message, uh, 30 seconds. If you really want to know something, learn how to grow something. I think this is our finest hour. Regardless of ideology, it started in the garden. Before we were able to have civilization, we had to be able to feed ourselves consistently. The best way we can honor our ancestors and their legacies and everything they went through is to get black to the garden. You don't have to be a farmer to be in agriculture. It's uh, consumer habits. can uh, support where you can using your skill set. Thank you very much, Traver. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening in today. We'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively.